0: Bad and welcome to the Bad and Bitchy podcast. I'm Erin.
1: And I'm Erica.
0: Erica, welcome to a post-election world. Yay. <laughs> uh, we are back on the mic. And uh, you know what? same different day same bullshit really it's really what it's at
1: well i mean uh, (laughs) i just i don't know i i just think like even though like parliament's not sitting there's still a lot going on and there's a lot of issues that started before pandemic or during pandemic that had not had not been addressed in um, in the election or basically anybody's platform, I, I feel like we're living in two parallel universes in this mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. and and that is disturbing to me.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of always been the issue with the Ottawa bubble, right? Like issues here, so that we as Ottawans and as like people who are very interested in politics think are you know, the be all end all the most important thing. Whereas, you know, I talked to my family back home in BC and they're like, we don't
1: care. Yeah.
0: And that's, that's one of the big things that I continue to use Facebook for is to see what the conversation is with quote unquote normals Mm -hmm. and what issues they care about and what things I think are important, whether or not they've actually penetrated. Yeah. And and they so so rarely do.
1: But what does that say about media then?
0: Well, that's the issue, right? Because like, you know, as news organizations continue to cut their more local coverage, it's becoming much more national in its focus, but it's not necessarily the most relevant to people's day-to-day lives.
1: And even if it's covered locally, it's not covered nationally. Yeah. Everything is about the pandemic all the time, and I'm tired.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm just tired. Like, there's other stuff going on, and it seems like anything pandemic is even the most minute details are always reported. And other stuff, like the stuff we're going to talk about today, is it's just not. And, well, it and it's me- like, and
0: it's front page news, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's the A block, it's the front page, whereas, like you know, after 19 months of the pandemic, barring any sort of, like, massive change, that stuff should be, like, in the middle of the paper.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, let's get started. Mm -hmm.
0: So, first, a couple housekeeping things. Make sure you are fully subscribed as a paying subscriber to the podcast. Make sure you are getting full episodes. Um, In addition to full episodes, you will also get random things that we send out. Uh, We sent out our lists of questions that we were going to ask party leaders during the election and didn't get to. Um, We've got a whole bunch of other special things coming up in the next few months. So if you are not currently a subscriber, head to bad bitchy podcast.substack.com. And no, I have not fixed that URL yet. So uh, working on it. Erica is also going to be involved in two events uh, next week. So on October 20th at 7 p.m., she will be moderating a conversation with our friend Selena Cesar Chauvin uh, about her book, Can You Hear Me Now? And then also the next day, Erica will be uh, helping kick off Ottawa's Ask Women Anything fall season in an hour-long discussion on October 21st at 7 p.m. And actually, actually, Erica, we are hosting our first post-election Twitter space on October 20th from 12 noon to 1 p.m. Eastern time. So join us if you can. All right, Erica, so this week in feminism, we're gonna focus primarily on um, what's been going on at Fairy Creek. And this is something we wanted to talk about during the election, but just didn't get a chance to because there were so many other things going on. But like you said, it is something that has been on our radar, you know, We really wanted to make sure we put it at the fore, you know, our first episode back. With 882 arrests so far, the old growth logging protests at Ferry Creek is now the largest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history. These events represent a critical moment in BC's recurring history of conflict related to ecological values and the forest industry, recalling the war in the woods and the Clayquot protests of the early 1990s. In early August, 2020, a blockade was set up on a ridge close to the Ferry Creek watershed. After it was discovered that a subcontractor of the logging company, Teal Jones, what a weird contractor's name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was uh, building roads into the Ferry Creek area. A week later, the river camp was set up to block an access point in D- Ferry Creek. So for those who don't know what Ferry Creek is, Ferry Creek is the last unlogged old growth valley on Southern Vancouver Island. It is the oldest, uh, the oldest and biggest of the trees in the area reach up to 9.5 feet in diameter. Hmm. And because I'm a nerd, I wanted to figure out what the circumference, circumference was. And so basically the circumference is two times pi times the radius. And so... The circumference of that tree comes close to thirty feet. Holy shit! Yeah,
1: yeah, a big ass tree. I know. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> I know. I really wanted to like make it a visual thing, and oh, yeah, wait. I can't. It's like as big as my house.
1: So old what th- do? So what do? Okay. So what do the old growth forests do? So Why are they so important?
0: They are ancient ecosystems that protect biodiversity. They're home to endangered animals. They are natural carbon sinks. And once they're logged, they're gone forever. There are trees in the Fairy Creek watershed that are estimated to be over 1,000 years old. Wow. Yeah. And so these protests are being led by a BC-based organization called the Rainforest Flying Squad. The Fairy Creek watershed is in the Pachetan Territory, And the Pachita First Nation elected leadership distanced itself from the logging protest activity in 2021, citing their right to manage territorial resources within their resource stewardship plan. Teal Jones, the logging company, signed agreements with the Pachita and the nation signed a revenue sharing agreement with the province in 2017 for all timber cut on its land. But members of the Pachita and the Didadat and other First Nations are part of a demonstration against old growth logging.
1: I wonder how much of that is generational.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that it makes sense that First Nations want to profit off the resources on their land. And so, yeah, having this revenue sharing agreement makes sense. But at the same time, the younger generations recognize that climate change is an issue and all of the biodiversity related to the old growth forests, and how that will then change the, the ecosystem that they live in. And, exactly. And so I like, it's really hard. It's a hard decision because, and I'm glad that I don't have to make those decisions because, you're trying to balance both interests and both both sides have valid points.
1: I think what we have to understand is that the Pachita First Nation is working within a certain construct that has that structural. So they only have certain choices, right? They're either going to profit and persist or they're going to be facing poverty and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. And so because of the construct of, That relates to the Indian Act, that relates to land and territory and how that's been distributed and how that's been managed and so on and so forth between the BC government and First Nations territories. And because the BC government has kicked the can down the road so many times, they could have taken care of this in the first set of protests, but they didn't. They kicked the can down the road. And so the point I'm trying to make is that there's a structure here within which many First Nations communities have limited options. Mm-hmm. And that is a contract set up by the Canadian government, right? So I get where they're coming from, is my point. I also get where the younger generation is coming from. And I find that climate change is a generational divide. Mm-hmm. And those of us who believe in really, really protecting and saving the climate, especially within, within the construct of intersectionality, which has yet to be broached, by the way, in this country, we just see the world differently. And not everything is about extracting yeah. resources okay. and not just resources as in fossil fuels, but extracting money as a resource from those resources that's where I'm coming from. So I, I, I like you get understand those two sort of, of, of things that are at play.
0: Yeah. And like it, I think the solution is a balancing act, but is that a sustainable long-term solution? I don't know. I don't know the economics of it.
1: I don't know the legislation of it. Yeah. That's my thing. I really do think that one of the things B.C., and, and Canada writ large needs to, needs to talk about and be concerned about is our economy based on resource extraction. Perfect. And there hasn't been enough discussion about where our economy is going and why we're still so dependent on resource extraction.
0: Listen, I will not stop advocating on this podcast since absolutely zero people will let me write about it. that we need to bring back the National Roundtable on the economy and the environment.
1: Why? What is so special about it? Why don't you tell everybody? Because at the
0: leadership debate during the election, some of the leaders talked about clean jobs and clean tech and all of these things. Well, great. That's awesome. But it's part of a system. And Eric and I talk about systems all the time. All the time. that, you know, okay, sure, we're going to move to clean energy and clean tech. Great. Well, what are the downstream effects of that? Do we have the workforce to fill those jobs? Okay, if not, then what sort of programming, educational supports are we going to provide Canadians with in order to skill them up or reskill them to move into these new industries? Exactly. And
1: and what does our lot what do our lives look like with these new industries? That's what I want to know. I want to know how our lives are going to change. And I want to know. So the New York Times, and I think I've mentioned this before, uh, the Daily Podcast Mm -hmm. did an excellent job. They had a January. It was in January when they decided that climate change was a national security issue.
0: Mhm yeah which
1: i thought was smart as fuck. Yeah. Okay. If only we could have that kind of thought process here, but anyway, I digress. The New York Times did a whole episode on climate and what that would look like in terms of our daily routines, and i have yet to hear that. I've yet to hear any sort of reporting beyond beyond high-level government targets that nobody knows how that actually manifests itself into everyday life.
0: Well, exactly. And, you know, without the National Roundtable on the Economy and the Environment, we won't understand. Okay,
1: okay, okay. What did it do?
0: (laughs) It basically, like, did independent studies that related to how things like wind energy will impact the environment and Cost savings, etc., etc., etc.
1: Okay, also, so it was the research arm of this climate transition is basically what you're saying.
0: Yeah, and you know we've got cabinet committees. We there is a an economy or there was an environment cabinet committee, which is great, awesome. But the cabinet committees don't do the research. They're not like other committees that bring in witnesses or whatever, and that are run by the Library of Parliament. Cabinet committees serve one purpose, and that is to, quote unquote, have discussions, they're not really discussions, about big policies that the public service brings to them. And basically, you know, a minister or a deputy minister comes to committee, they have 10 or 15 minutes to present this million or hundreds of million or billion dollar policy proposal there's maybe a five minute conversation about it and then they approve it or don't approve it
1: right so there's not much evidence-based discussion
0: the evidence base is in theory coming from the public service (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> By, <laughs> but, but they're not.
1: But they're not necessarily
0: doing the original research. No, they're, they're not. They're they aggregating do... other research.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think that's what. I think that's what. Those are the nuances of the public service. That of course you and I know. Um, that the information that is going to cabinet committees is from the public service, and that comes down from working level, which is as you say. It's true, it's an amalgamation of research that's coming from the department, for example. Mm -hmm. So what that means, I don't know how they choose the research in that particular area. Some, how, which research is important is really determined by public service officials. Mm -hmm. So if they don't think that environmental racism is a thing, they won't present it to cabinet. And let me tell you something, most of them are white males. They don't think it's a thing. Yeah. But also, that's how the system works. And, you know, since we're always talking about systemic change, I do think I'm a big believer that I don't think the research and the primary advisory services should come from the public service. I'm sorry. However, when you get into think tanks, then you start to choose think tanks that are based on your ideological bent. And that's the problem. Yeah. So like, we're, we're kind of caught between um, there's one set of like, of disadvantages versus the other.
0: Totally. And, you know, in the event, and I've mentioned this on one of our, during one of our discussions with David during the election is that in the event of a massive earthquake in BC, there's, a very excellent chance that we will be thrust into a, a recession. Right.
1: Because the fiscal so climate are- causes recessions as do pandemics. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Yeah. Oh, by the way, as an aside at the daily today, so that's Friday, October 15th, mm-hmm. had a good episode on supply it's chain. Great
0: management. episode. Great
1: episode. Great episode. And by the way, stop listening to conservatives on the economy because they don't know shit because All I hear is Pierre Polyev talking about, oh, Justin Trudeau's debt caused inflation. It's like, "Eh, it doesn't really work that way. I believe the inflation is being caused by supply chain issues. Yeah.
0: So anyway, um, since the river camp was first set up in August 2020, numerous blockades at Ferry Creek have been established in the surrounding areas to try to prevent loggers from accessing the old growth land for which they have provincially granted tree farm licenses for logging. These tree farm licenses are often also referred to as TFLs. So on April 1st, 2021, the BC Supreme Court granted Teal Jones an injunction banning roadblocks at numerous entry points into tree farm licensed area 46, which is where most of the blockades had been established. You know, about six weeks later on May 17th, the BC RCMP announced that they would be enforcing the injunction. Police established a checkpoint and an exclusion zone for protesters outside the area where the injunction is now being enforced. BC Premier John Horgan told the Ferry Creek protesters in April to quote unquote move along and then also respect the wishes of the title holders to the land, including the Pachita First Nation.
1: (laughs) move along isn't that what when I hear move along all I see is like Black protesters right before they turn the dogs and the water hoses on them that's what move along means to me (laughs) but carry on
0: the province released a review in September of this year of how old growth trees are logged in BC and committed to 14 recommendations that would make forestry more sustainable okay sure Um, Just like how Trudeau is like, we're gonna plant a billion trees.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, gee, thanks. It's gonna take a thousand years for those to go, but sure. But sure, fighting Uh, climate change.
0: Yeah, the the province also announced the deferment of the logging of old growth trees in some forests at risk of biodiversity loss. But the province, of course, faces criticism that it's not meeting the timelines or goals laid out in that report. But going back to June 2021, Premier John Horgan approved a two-year deferral of 2,000 hectares of old-growth logging in Ferry Creek and nearby Central Walbran at the request of three First Nations. Weird. Didn't you just tell people to move along and respect their wishes? Mm, Weird. (laughs) The federal liberals, who as we know have been newly re-elected, have pledged to set up a $50 million fund to help protect old growth as a way to help slow the decline of biodiversity. During BC's pandemic election last fall, the incumbent provincial NDP, aka John Horgan's government, also promised to enact all recommendations from an old growth strategic review if initi- it initiated.
1: Okay, I have a question.
0: Is John oh. Horgan secretly not an NDP or I would say
1: or or <laughs> No, no, no. No, no, no. Let's look at it for the other side. Can we mm. trust the NDP with climate?
0: All right. So that does it for this episode. If you are not a paid subscriber and you want to listen to the full thing, hit us up, badbitchypodcast.substack.com. Become a paid subscriber for as low as $7 a month or an annual subscription for $75. It's a little early. You can also... um Gift them to people, which is kind of a really cool feature of Substack. So maybe you know someone who is interested in the things we talk about, and they aren't subscribed, and maybe they can't afford a subscription, and so you want to give them one. What a treat! We they're gonna love
1: you. They're gonna love you.
0: Truly, we will be back next week after the cabinet announcement, so we will be out a little delayed, but uh, we'll have some thoughts. I guess I guess that does it. Erica, it's great to be back.
1: It is. Let's see who um gets defense. <laughs>
0: so I'm I'm waiting with bated breath. Mm-hmm. Join us on October 20th for our Twitter space at lunchtime 12 noon Eastern October 20th on Twitter. And we will see you then.
1: Bye. Bye.